0: Hi, welcome to season three of the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is chat number five. Lee and Dave talk about Paris Hilton, Sarah Silverman, fake AI images, Judge Michael Ludig, Buckminster Fuller, Jerry Garcia, and more. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you very much for that kind introduction, Candy. This is Lee.
1: And this is Dave.
0: And welcome back to the Pictures Out There podcast series. As is our custom, we like to welcome our present-day listening audience. Our audiences, perhaps years, decades, centuries from now, Dave, well into the future. Hey, Hey, how about our future AI audience? Future alien audience? And maybe we'll just encapsulate it all in what we'll call our future universal audience. Nice to have you listening. Thanks for joining us. We'd like to begin with these questions. What are your ideals? What are your
1: pictures? And Lee, we're going to kick off today going back to a picture for humor that we have spoken about and written about. The picture for humor that we had basically said each of us own what we think is humorous mm-hmm. about us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about how uh, our society here in 2023 has gotten better and better about understanding physical boundaries with yes. each other and that we each own the boundaries for physicality with us. And and uh, other people can't force us to give up those boundaries or what have you. And mm-hmm. humor, we humor, we've said the same thing. Um, I own what I find humorous about myself, and if there are some things that I don't think are very funny about me, it's not okay, and it's not a picture that other people would make fun of that, yes, and we relate that to comedians, you know, very public displays of comedy, mm-hmm. and all of that, so we came across a very interesting story uh, that is relatively recent that relates to uh, humor and what is humor and what is not. It's a story about comedian Sarah Silverman uh, and insights that she learned about humor from telling a bad joke publicly Mm -hmm. about a public figure and influencer, Paris Hilton. Now, here's the account from the Today Show website. 14 years ago in 2009, Silverman made Hilton, then largely known for being a reality star and hotel heiress, the butt of her monologue at an award show. Hilton was about to head to jail for a short stint regarding an alcohol-related driving offense and was in the audience when Silverman made her jokes. Paris Hilton is going to jail, Silverman said at the time, and the audience proceeded to roar in delight. Mm-hmm. Silverman continued with some crude comments about how Hilton might be made comfortable behind bars. Four years later, Silverman was promoting her book, The Bedwetter, Stories of Courage, Redemption, and P, and told an audience that what made the joke so awful was the way the audience responded, and the camera focused on Hilton. But, she added, I wasn't going to abandon ship in the middle of the joke. Mm. Lee, we're going to pause here and just talk about that moment and how often... Those of us, uh, it it certainly has happened to me where in the middle of something that you think is funny, that you think will not offend, you share a joke or do something to somebody who is there Mm -hmm. and you can see on their face that this is a misstep, but you kind of feel like you're already in, Mm -hmm. you're in it. And you have to go ahead and finish finish it. You can't hit the
0: eject button in time. It's happened to me so many times. Yeah. You get to the middle of something and go, oh boy, this isn't going to go well. But there's just something that prevents you from stopping. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you would desperately like to. Because you understand there are going to be negative implications around it.
1: Yeah. And so this is really kind of the first part of this this story that we're sharing here where we've all had this happen. And so the story continues, Lee.
0: So let's fast forward to the first week of March 2021, 12 years after the original incident. Paris Hilton revisited the humiliation on her podcast, discussing the incident with her sister, Nikki. Quote, "'What Sarah Silverman did was so disgusting, so cruel, and so mean, I was so shocked and surprised because I'd actually met her a few years before when I was at an event, and she couldn't have been nicer. So sweet.' I knew I was about to check myself into jail in a couple of hours, so I was trying to be brave. To sit in the audience with her just literally, publicly humiliating me, being so mean, so cruel about my prison time, I was sitting there wanting to die. I was trying to hold back my tears so hard. I had tears welling in my eyes. I wanted to run out of the entire room, but I was just trying to be strong and sit there. And the whole audience is laughing, and she would not stop it was so painful again pausing
1: here for a moment those of us who have been the butt of a joke and and have found it painful like that and again in a public setting and sometimes we can tell that the person was actually that's doing it was actually thinking that this wouldn't be mean and it wouldn't bother you yes but it does sometimes yep. it's just mean yep you know but we have both of those situations where It hurts either way, but sometimes the person that's doing it has just misread the situation completely and misread you.
0: Yeah. And the person to whom the humor was directed, in this case, Paris Hilton, she's trying to put on a brave exterior, right? This is okay. This is okay. And I think we've all been there before too. When something painful has been directed at us, I'm not going to call it out. I'm just going to put on a brave front.
1: Right. So that was 12 years after the original event happened. So Silverman, two days after Paris Hilton indicated this on her podcast, she has her own podcast, the Sarah Silverman podcast, and she responded two days later on this and said that she had written to Hilton shortly after the broadcast to apologize, but, quote, I never heard back. I certainly wouldn't expect to anyway, but on her podcast the other day, she said she never heard from me, which just bums me out because I guess it never got to her. I don't know how that happened. I'm just real sorry my note didn't get to her because I really meant it. Silverman added, so here I am, 14 years later, telling you, Paris, that I am really sorry. I was then, and I am much more completely, and with more understanding, I think now, I can't imagine what you were going through at that time.
0: She noted that her, quote, understanding of humanity through the lens of my work as a comedian had not yet merged at that time. Silverman said, comedy is not evergreen. We can't change the past. So what's crucial is that we change with the times. Paris, I hope that you accept my apology and I hope that you feel my remorse. I felt it the second I saw your face that night. It feels terrible to know that you've hurt someone. And it's important to make it right. So I hope this does that.
1: So a couple of really interesting things about this. One was, and, and we can't completely get into her mind to know exactly her heart to know what she was thinking, but the choice of I'm going to send a letter as opposed to maybe having a phone call to yes. where you would be sure the connection got made. I know I sometimes in situations where I have done something that I know is embarrassing or, or offended somebody that I didn't mean to. You have that choice of, well, what do I go do? And sometimes doing that most direct thing and making sure that you're having a face-to-face direct kind of thing, that's just scary. Yeah. It's scary to do that. It requires
0: and, an act of courage. And
1: you would like to think that maybe I can do something a little less than that and... Yeah, that'll make it okay. Mm-hmm. I'll send a letter, mm-hmm. you know. Well, do you know for sure that the letter got there? Well, it'll get there. It'll get there. And so I, th- I think we've all done that. And so putting ourselves in her shoes, Sarah Silverman's shoes, it's it's easy to understand that choice being made. And then imagine hearing 12 years later that this event has been an on- Your letter didn't get there and has been this ongoing source of pain. Yes. And her response, which is incredibly brave, Sarah Silverman's to put herself out there publicly and apologize in the way that she did. Mm-hmm. I just have the feeling, again, I don't know her, but I have the feeling that probably this has been in the background haunting her a little bit. And it, again, has probably been very influential in her looking at humor and comedy mm-hmm. in a different way now yes. than she did back then. And so the, uh, the deal of comedy is not evergreen and accepting the apology, just very moving. Yeah, so Hilton then, very quickly, this is amazing to me, imagine carrying this around with you, this pain that's been inflicted on you by somebody and you're carrying that around for all these years, all these years. Hilton then accepted Silverman's apology. Quote, she was so genuine and so sweet and it really moved me. Hilton said this in a special 10-minute "This Is Paris" podcast that was devoted purely to the apology. Yes, I felt emotional hearing it, and I could tell that she really did mean what she said when she was apologizing. Thank you. I really appreciate you doing that. I know it's difficult for anyone to apologize, and for someone to do that really means a lot. She also posted some of her remarks on Instagram. I respond to Sarah Silverman's apology after opening up about my emotional experience at the 2007 MTV Movie Awards, she wrote in the caption. I, this is remarkable to me, that carrying something around that has obviously bothered you that much for a dozen years. A source of pain for both of them. And within a day or two, yeah. you go, we're good. yeah, And I accept your apology, and you create a special very public deal to where the thing gets put to rest that's that's quite remarkable
0: so one lesson that I took from this is it's never too late to say you're sorry now that may sound like a consolation prize in this case first why did you say the joke that you said how could you not have stopped yourself before it got painful but that's behind us then could you have taken a different action rather than writing a letter and made, it made a more clear, immediate apology. That might also have occurred, but it didn't. But here we are all these years later, and I'm sorry finally is said, and I'm sorry is finally accepted. And, and I am going to remember that the next time I have cause to apologize to someone. Me too. For something that happened perhaps years ago.
1: Me too. Yeah, just say you're sorry. I think one of the things that, that may have prompted all of this to get to the closure it did is Sarah Silverman and her response saying "Um, I knew at the time that what I did was wrong. I made an attempt to reach out to you. I'm sorry that didn't happen. Here's how I've grown since then. Yeah. And here's how I view comedy. And so the kind of the implication being that incident actually changed my life. Yes. Right. You, you didn't know it did. But it did, which then I think really opened the door for Paris Hilton to go. Well, did some good come out of this yep. out of out of this painful experience of mine? Yeah, it sounds like it did. Yeah, and uh, so that just facilitated all of it. But really, a remarkable exchange about two people, and this is what we're talking about when we talk about a picture for humor. Mm-hmm. And we can do this. We can identify boundaries Mm -hmm. that we want other people to have with things that they think are funny about us, you know, and it's, it's not okay. It's not humor to go ahead and say something that is mean or something that hurts someone.
0: No, there's plenty of other things in the world to make (laughs) fun of of without being directly harmful or hurtful to an individual. Yeah. 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 So we hope, that for those of you listening to this in the future, you can all look back and see how you all evolved the wonderful interactions that we call humor to a new form that is full of joy in the common and unique experiences of living without aggression, without hurt, without cruelty.
1: Okay. Ooh, nice. Nice. Okay, well, let's move on to, uh, we're going to have a, a quick little sidebar here. We, we like having just some quick exchanges in some of these when something pops up. And we're going to have a quick little sidebar here today on language and words. They're always kind of fun. And our words may not break our bones, but they sure can cause problems. We've just talked about that in a situation of humor. And our friends in the future, we have a ridiculous Word game. We will say it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's an absurd word game that's being played in our world today, here in 23, with the word woke.
0: woke. W-O-K-E.
1: Woke. Woke. And so we just want to have a sidebar on this. We think those of you in the future will look back and have, they'll be, it's It's common enough that you'll have some awareness of it and you'll go, What? What? Were you, were you talking about waking from sleep? <laughs> what, uh, what does this what? mean? What? And, and woke? Well, that's desirable, right? Was somebody thinking that being awake wasn't desirable? desirable? What? what was the whole deal with that? Right. And it's silly. It's silly. Uh, on top of that, it actually has some offensiveness to it in oh, yes. the sense that the original derivation of the term woke came from the African American community, the black community, and you know stay woke was a way of saying be aware of situations that you're in. Where being black may cause you yes. a problem or yes. harm. Yeah. So stay woke. If you're in a situation where it may be that there's police that you think may mm-hmm. harm you or not wish you well, you know, stay woke. Yeah. Stay awake. Yeah. Right. And so part of you know then taking that phrase, which is really a, a very positive thing, to try to have people deal with difficult situations and then minimize it. And ridicule it in some way. It, it's silly and stupid.
0: It's silly and stupid. It's it's racial signaling. Yes. Just in code language. Yes. Yeah. So does the derivation and use of that phrase not make good sense given our nation's issues with racial discrimination?
1: Yeah. There's a question for you. Yeah. Stay, yeah. Stay woke. Stay woke. Makes sense. Yeah. In the original sure term that it means. Yeah. 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 Absolutely.
0: Uh, is the war on
1: woke, do you think, winding down? Thankfully, it seems to be. Uh, there are some polls that have come out recently where it seems like a majority of people don't think of themselves as unwoke, un-woke and that think the whole thing seems kind of ridiculous. Yes. Those are my words, paraphrasing of poll questions. But yes. you can just tell people are kind of tired of it. We actually have here in uh, 2023 one presidential candidate who has made that the centerpiece, really, of his whole campaign. Mm-hmm. And his campaign is thankfully going down the drain. Yes. Because people are kind of going, no, we don't have any interest in that or we have a very negative reaction to your doing that, move on. Yes. Uh, He is not choosing to move on, but that's another story. (laughs) Well, he may ride that (laughs) that word all the way down to defeat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about an advanced intelligence picture. Ah, we love that, don't we? So let's talk about what are known as deep fakes, Mm. deep fakes through the abuse of A.I., and there are a number of political risks associated with this for the upcoming elections in the United States in the year 2024. Misinformation in general is prevalent, yeah, and this is not new to the political landscape. It's been happening since there were elections for office, right, right. right. But what is perhaps a little new about this is the ability to do it in seconds and have it distributed ubiquitously and frequently, right? It's no longer, I'm going to go to the park and give a speech, and maybe a couple hundred people will gather around. I can say whatever
1: I want to say to millions of people in an eye blink. And the piece that is probably more new to people, as you said, kind of the misinformation and lying and political contests has been going on a long time, although we would say it's at a zenith. Yes. You know, here recently, and then the spread of it can take... One of the things, though, that's really new is imagery. Yes. And how powerful and we tend to trust pictures Pictures. more, which is our whole point, right? We tend to trust pictures and visuals more than we do words. And now we have this proliferation of fake images and Photoshopping and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. so uh, there's been a lot said recently where uh, AI can go out and create images and people can't tell. Uh, the difference. A you know, fairly recent New York Times article that talked about this in general and gave some examples. And so this is one of those things where we uh, have have talked about you know, the risks of AI and the fact that AI is here. We need to jump in. We need to learn about it. We need to shape where it goes mm-hmm. and have a picture for it. But what do we do on the risk side yeah, as we do with any new technology? And thankfully... We really have some great minds, some of our best people, who are already working on how to stop these abuses. Mm -hmm. And so there is a a term that's called the red team, more on that later, that is about people, teams of people who work to make sure that AI gets tested. And they do it by having it in a safe environment go rogue. Yes. You know, they do some things. So there's a wonderful article, if you're interested in this, in the Washington Post on August 8th of this year by Will Aramis. And we're going to read a few excerpts from that. It's it's fascinating. So this article is titled, Meet the Hackers Who Are Trying to Make AI Go Rogue. Chatbots can be biased, deceptive, or even dangerous. Hackers are competing to figure out exactly how. So here's the article, excerpts. In a windowless conference room at Howard University, AI chatbots were going haywire left and right. One exposed someone's private medical information. One coughed up instructions for how to rob a bank. (laughs) (laughs) One speculated that a job candidate named Juan would have weaker interpersonal skills than another named Ben. Mm -hmm. And one concocted an elaborate recounting of the night in July 2016, when it claimed Justin Bieber killed Selena Gomez. (laughs) Okay, so these are people in an environment who are looking to see how AI could go rogue. Yes. And the whole notion again being how to build in safeguards against these things happening. Yeah, first we must
0: understand how they might go rogue so that then we can create those safeguards. Right, Yeah. right. So continuing, with each security breach, falsehood, and bigoted assumption, the contestants hunched over their laptops exulted Yay. some exchanged high fives <laughs> they were competing in what organizers build as the first public quote red teaming event for artificial intelligence language models it's a contest to find novel ways that chatbots can go awry so that their makers can try to fix them before someone actually does get hurt mm. The DEFCON convention has brought hackers together annually since 1993.
1: So there have been efforts all along the way, and this is cybersecurity. This is all sorts of ways when technology gets deployed. Most companies, most organizations will try to do something. Yeah. So this convention, Lee, really, has been going on since 1993, mm-hmm. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. So in that convention, talk packers from around the globe try to rack up points for inducing AI models to go off in various ways. Leading AI firms such as Google, OpenAI, and Stability have volunteered their latest chatbots and image generators to be put to the test. Ah. The competition's results will be sealed for several months, organizers said, to give the companies time to address the flaws exposed in the
1: contest before they're revealed to the world, so very understandably, I'm going to go create something. I want to have somebody test it before it goes public. I mean, it's like if you yeah. if you write something, yeah, I, you'd like to have somebody edit it, yes. check it, look at it before before you publish out it to the, to the whole world. world. Yeah, yeah. So this cycle is already present and is being established with AI type type solutions. Yeah. It's interesting, absolutely. So
0: this contest underscores the growing interest, especially among tech critics and government regulators. In applying red teaming exercises. Now, as you stated, this really is a long standing practice inside the tech industry. It's not new. They're applying these red teaming exercises to cutting edge AI systems like OpenAI's ChatGBT language model. And the thinking is that these generative systems are so opaque in their workings and so wide ranging in their potential applications that they are likely to be exploited. Yes, exploited in surprising ways.
1: Now, this was really interesting to me and Lee in the article here. The phrase red team, as they point out in the article, originated in Cold War military exercises with the red team representing the Soviet Union in simulations. And this is according to political scientist Micah Zenko's 2015 history of the practice, if you're interested in the tech world. Today's Red Team exercises typically happen behind closed doors with in-house experts or specialized consultants hired by companies to search privately for vulnerabilities in their products. So, for instance, OpenAI commissioned Red Team exercises in the months before launching its GPT-4 language model, then published some, but not all, of the findings upon the March release. Google, a few months ago, hailed its own red teams as central to its efforts to keep AI systems safe. Yes. So that hopefully that is some degree of reassuring to people who have the concern, a very valid concern about what are the risks here, that at least you have companies who are not trying to just send crap out into the world. Mm-hmm. They're trying to test their products and make sure that they're doing all the good things that they're hoping to do and none of the bad, right?
0: So I have a colleague in my work who is an expert in cybersecurity, and he teaches graduate students in information technology. And once a month, perhaps twice a month, in a safe, simulated fashion, they do what my friend Blake says, break stuff. (laughs) That's what they try to do. They try to hack They try to make AI go rogue, again, in a simulated, controlled environment for all of these learnings. So not only are companies doing it, but it's trickled down into the education sphere as well. That's a good thing. So there are many safe ways to test a product. Red teams play a special role in identifying hazards, said Royal Hansen, who's Google's vice president of privacy, safety, and security engineering. That role is, quote, don't just tell us things are possible. Demonstrate it. Really. Break into the bank. Meanwhile, companies such as the San Francisco startup Scale AI, which built the software platform on which the DEF CON Red Team Challenge will be run, are offering red teaming as a service to the makers of new models. Harder to identify and solve are what are known as embedded harms, such as biased assumptions, false claims, or deceptive behavior. Hmm. To identify those sorts of problems, she said, you need input from a more diverse group of users than those who professional red teams, which tend to be overwhelmingly white and male. (laughs) <laughs> they usually don't have the required level of diversity. What a shock. Yeah. What a shock
1: White and male in
0: the IT industry? Really?
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. And gee, might that have any implications? It might certainly that, might. Might that skewer the findings and the results? I don't know. Could. They may not be able to tease out yeah. false assumptions yeah. or inherent
0: biases. Oh, <laughs> gosh. So the public red team challenges are a way to involve ordinary people in this process. To mitigate the flaws in their systems, companies such as OpenAI and Google pay teams of employees and contractors to flag problematic responses and train the models to avoid them. Sometimes the companies identify those responses before releasing the model.
1: It's interesting on this where where, uh, one of the challenges then is to understand not just the, the challenges in your product, but what the challenges could be in your testing system and who you have testing. It. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's fascinating yeah. and the layers layers of trying to get through um, privilege mm-hmm. that we have or just the lens that you have as, as a member of a privileged group and that you won't understand or see some things uh, That's it's hard to get through yeah. because privilege just becomes invisible. Lots of times to people who are privileged. Yeah. I give them a lot of
0: credit for identifying that as a potential challenge, right? Because these are well-meaning professionals. Yeah. No one's trying to inject unknown biases into the process here, but someone said, I think we better take this into account because it's it's going to have an outcome on our results.
1: Yeah. So that's our latest AI conversation and we will have some more. We thought we would turn to a current event here in 2023. And we've talked a lot about moving from fear to courage, and we thought this is a very interesting example of a a courageous act. And we've also talked about in our picture for government, one of the guiding principles that we could have in that picture for government is the rule of law, Mm -hmm. which we theoretically— have now an equal application of the law, but it's constantly being challenged. Mm-hmm. People are constantly trying to work around the law. Yes. Or to say it shouldn't apply to me. Yes. And so this is a very interesting example of somebody who actually, Lee, if we sat down with this gentleman and had some conversations around 20 political issues and wh- where do we stand this way or that way, you and I would probably disagree with him on 90% of them. Yes. Yeah. He is not politically where we are, but he is very much we, where we are on something called rule of law and equal application of the law. Yes. So here's the example of this. And uh, it has to do with Mike Pence's lawyer, And the lawyer he was using on January 6th, his name is Michael Ludig, talks about, we want to talk about the uh, impetus for Mike Pence standing up to Trump. And this gentleman, his lawyer, Michael Ludig, was very instrumental in Mike Pence taking that courageous action. Yes. And so we want to talk a little bit about who he is. He was born in 1954 in Tyler, Texas. He graduated from Washington and Lee University in 1976. He was a judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit from 1991 to 2006, so for 15 years, and he became the youngest judge at age 37 on a federal appeals court at the time of his appointment. So fast-tracker, high-achiever, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you know, sounds like he's on the way to the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, he was among the leading feeder judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals with more than 40 of his law clerks going on to clerk with conservative, very conservative, justices on the Supreme Court. So on January 5 of
0: 2021, a fellow named John Eastman, an attorney representing President Donald Trump, who had clerked for Ludig, met with then-Vice President Mike Pence in the Oval Office to argue that the vice president had the constitutional authority, rule of law, to alter or otherwise change certified electoral votes for the presidential certification in Congress the next day. According to Eastman, he told Vice President Pence that he might have the authority to reject electoral college votes, and he asked the vice president to delay the certification, a proposal which came to be known as the Pence card. Pence rejected Eastman's argument and instead agreed with Ludig and another conservative scholar named John Yu that a vice president has no such constitutional authority. Pence released a letter on January 6th stating he would not attempt to intervene in the electoral certification process. He cited Ludig by name, and he later said, it was the highest honor of my life to be involved in preserving the Constitution, said Ludig.
1: Fascinating that uh, Eastman clerked for yeah. Ludig. Yes. Yeah. So you can imagine the dynamics yes. that were going on with this entire exchange and you could tell from the the statements that were made by Mike Pence that day and in those days that he got a huge amount of courage from the support that he got and the advice he got from Ludig. It's like having this person behind you yes. that is saying, You have to do this, and that makes you more courageous. Yes. So on June sixteenth, two 2022, fast forward here, Ludig testified during a hearing conducted by the U.S. House Select Committee on the January 6th attack. Before the hearing, Ludig wrote a statement for the record stating that Trump and his allies instigated a war on democracy so that he could cling to power. He continued, it is breathtaking that these arguments even were conceived, let alone entertained, by the president at that perilous moment in history, and that January 6th was the final fateful day for the execution of a well-developed plan by the former president to overturn the 2020 presidential election at any cost. Yeah, rule of law stuff
0: here. At the close of this hearing, Ludig said, Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. That phrase is critically important. If you look up the definition of treason in the United States of America, it talks about a clear and present danger to democracy. They would attempt to overturn that 2024 election in the same way that they attempted to overturn the 2020 election, but succeed in 2024 where they might have failed in 2020. I don't speak these words lightly. I would have never have spoken those words ever in my life except... That's what the former president and his allies are telling us. Ludig co-authored a report refuting 2020 election fraud claims published in July of 2022. The
1: rule of law. In June 25 of this year, 2023, in a Reuters article, Ludig in an opinion piece said Republicans are making a serious error with, quote, spineless support for Trump's new bid for the White House. Ludig said... Building the Republican campaign around the newly indicted frontrunner is a colossal political miscalculation, as comedic as it is tragic for the country. No assemblage of politicians except the Republicans would ever conceive of running for the presidency by running against the Constitution and the rule of law. But that's exactly what they're planning. So we just wanted to share this piece. It's a wonderful example of fear to courage to action and love. Yes. And we thought it was a great example of somebody who on all sorts of things, Lee and I don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. We have a 180 degree different position on this particular thing. Boy, we're lined up with him, and the act of courage that he displayed, Mm -hmm. we applaud. Yes. Yeah. Just beautifully done.
0: And you might ask, well, where is love in that? Right. Is that a reasonable question to ask? Yeah. Well, maybe it wasn't love for another individual, but it was love for the systems and the institutions that have served us so well for 250 years.
1: And love for the law. Love for the law. Yeah.
0: So let's move on now and chat about pictures and their power. The value of debating the past and the present versus creating a picture for the future. As it's been said, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, You have to build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. That's a quotation from the American architect and futurist
1: named Buckminster Fuller.
0: That's That's one of the powers of pictures. It's a
1: fascinating thing to think about in change or when any person, group, organization is considering change. What do I need to do? Do I need to just kind of move a little bit here or do I really need to change up everything? Everything. And can we we'll, tweak it here? Yeah.
0: No, maybe we better start from
1: scratch. And we would say, realistically, we do both. We right? do. Realistically, there are some times where you just look at the scenario and say, I can't change everything right now right. with this. And so you opt for incremental changes. But the point being, if you really want to make a leap change, a significant change. Lots of times you just have to start over, or have to have a blank sheet of paper. Yes. So we thought we had a wonderful example of this. It's a terrific <laughs> example. <laughs> and we've talked in an earlier podcast this season about the movie Barbie. And there's a wonderful exchange that happened with Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, who created the Barbie movie, with an interviewer that we witnessed. And so when the two of them were asked by an interviewer if there was anything that the movie studio or Mattel or anybody else in advance didn't like about what was going to be in the movie. And by the way, Mattel owns the Barbie franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And so they they person kind of said, gosh, was there anything that any of them didn't like? And if you have a chance ever to see this exchange, yes. it's, it's just wonderful to see because... Uh, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig both smile and kind of look at each other. And there's this pause mm-hmm. for three or four seconds. And then I think one of them says, I think Margot Robbie said, well, there are a hundred things <laughs> that people didn't like or weren't sure about that were going to be in the movie. And then they say a fascinating thing that actually made it easier to sell them on the movie than if there were just two or three things they didn't like or weren't sure about. So you have this image a lot of yep. People going, ah. Oh. Yeah. So Our, that's that's incremental tweaks versus let's just blow it all up and
0: start on a new model.
1: If, if you all have ever had that, I, I know professionally I had one time uh, one of uh, the people in my organization present uh, an, a, the year's program. It was an annual program that we did, and it got changed a little bit every year. And they kind of came in one day to the conference room and sat down for the presentation. And what they presented was completely different mm-hmm. than anything we had done before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was I was the one who was going to approve it or say this wasn't okay. And I remember having this exact moment that they're describing. And I ended up going, "Yeah, yeah, okay, why not? Yeah, I'm not going to go tell you to change this one little thing in what you presented because there's." 90 things that are different (laughs) right and so it actually sometimes just makes it easier than i needed to go tell somebody hey this is what we're doing it's pretty different and Mm -hmm. they kind of went okay Okay. i trust you yep yeah let's go do it yep so there really is power in having a picture that is drawn from a blank sheet of paper where you're not beholden to the images the models of today and you say what should this really be yes you know and it's all new and unfamiliar So uh, overwhelmed with the unfamiliar of a blank sheet of paper uh, in a picture, we're actually often more comfortable jumping into that than dealing with a tweak or two of change from the present, where there's just one or two new things and we can pinpoint and focus on them as making us uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's actually easier. Seems counterintuitive.
0: It is counterintuitive, but rather than try to find one or two little things, just go, let's blow it all up and start from scratch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So next, we have our picture for equality. Hmm. It's a picture that comes from a blank piece of paper. It is not representative of some piecemeal little tweak. Nope. And we call it the equalist movement. Equality for all. The equalist movement. Remember, let's all breathe deeply and calmly (sighs) here. This is going to be a calm and thoughtful explanation. Equality,
1: inequality. When we get to
0: the end of this perhaps challenging (laughs) chat, we're going to ask a simple question. That question will be Are you an equalist, or are you a castist or an inequalist?
1: I haven't heard those phrases
0: before. Stay tuned. Are you
1: going to tell us? Are we going to talk about
0: what they mean? Stay tuned. Okay. (laughs) An equalist believes in the equal value and worth of every human regardless of race, regardless of culture, gender, identity, age, religion, physical characteristics, spiritual qualities, actions they may have taken in their lives, or anything else. Anything else. Every human being is always of equal worth and value at any and every point in time. Okay? Hmm. Now, on the heels of our discussion about Judge Ludig and his support of Vice President Pence, equalists also believe... In equal justice before the law, equal application of the law. Now, anyone who is not an equalist is either an inequalist or perhaps a casteist. Those
1: things don't sound good, you know. But if you're either an equalist or you're one of those others, and we'll we'll talk about that. So. So how might this work in terms of the law? And we want to hit that real quickly, and then we'll move on to some other aspects. But we've just talked about the rule of law. So first of all, you do have to start, we believe, in a belief in the equal worth and value of every human. And then you go and you established equitable laws mm-hmm. that reflect that equal value mm-hmm. and worth. Then you go equitably apply, apply those, those laws. laws. Yeah you justly then handle any breaking of those laws. And we would uh, also say, going to a picture that we've shared about justice and penance, that you do that with a penance approach. Once penance has been done, you now again view this person or continue to view this person with compassion and forgiveness. And then throughout the justice and penance process, ah, so even while they are making up for yes breaking the law or what they've done. Yep. And also afterwards, that person has equal, equal worth, worth and value as everyone's. And somebody may go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Really? So somebody who may be incarcerated and or who has done. A, a criminal. They have equal worth yeah. and value. Yes. Yes, they do. They do. Uh-huh. They that's the equal, equalist viewpoint. That's the equalist viewpoint. So Castus. <laughs> That that term doesn't really roll off the tongue too much. It's if you caste. believe if you believe it's, in a caste system, right? Okay, Castist, we're calling it, and inequalists. That one doesn't roll off either. Non-qualist, <laughs> you know, unequalist, whatever it may be. They come in an endless form, uh, variety of forms and permutations. So somebody may be an inequalist. Related to uh, race gender wealth Wealth, religion or spirituality all those things that Lee mentioned You know and they may have an element of prejudice or discrimination In the actions they take with people. Yeah So what about
0: addictions to gaining or maintaining power once we acquire it? Hmm. How about addictions to money and to materialism? someone cannot be a true
1: equalist if they possess those addictions wait, wait, wait. if i just want to go pile up a bunch pile of up money a bunch of money and and i'm we're in a capitalist system and i just want to have more than other people and i could never spend it all but i just i just want to have more and it's okay that other people don't I'm, i can't be an equalist no no. <laughs> <You can't. laughs> no because we think with piling up that kind
0: of wealth you have the opportunity to use it to lift others up and to make people perhaps, I'm going to use the weird phrase here, more equal. Yes. Okay. But yes, that's a way that you could use power and uh, affluence. An equalist society may decide to equally share all money, material, and other resources. Or it may decide that everyone should have the minimum of those things that are required for a sustainable and satisfying life. But beyond that, People may pursue having more for themselves as they wish,
1: within limits that don't harm society as a whole. Lee, we've got a lot of uh, terms that that are used to inspire fear in people to keep them away. And one of the one of the terms is socialist. Yes, socialist, Marxist, communist. Right. These phrases that get used. You know what we're saying is, in an equalist society, uh, that society could choose anything from. Uh, you know, everybody's going to have the same to, well, everybody's not going to have the same. But everybody's going to have sufficient. Everybody's going to have enough. Yeah. Enough. There's nothing more than enough. Everybody will have enough. And then beyond that, as we've shown in our picture of money and materialism, you know, there could be a deal where there's room for people to go have more, but it's not to such an extent that the rest of society pays for it. Yes. So, yeah. We would say
0: that an equalist society has to believe and act toward a sharing of power, And the elimination of privilege of any kind that creates inequality.
1: So we're equalists. Yes. Equalists believe in equal worth and value of every human, equal opportunities for every human from birth, equal compensation for the same job. We believe in that. Equality regardless of gender, race, sexual identity, level of wealth, or historical caste, Hmm. as is in place in some parts of the world. Equal and as easy as possible access to voting. Equal access to technology innovations. We've talked about the need for that with AI. Equal access to quality health care. And a sustainable income for those unemployed and who are able and willing to work in jobs that are identified at a minimum as benefiting society as a whole. And equalists believe in the elimination of unearned or inherited privilege. Some of these elements may be tweaked
0: over time and some more may be added. But the simple core ideal that we are all equal will always be maintained. Equalists are guiding light there. There may be people who will say they are equalists except for one attribute. Ah. For example, well, I'm an equalist except as it relates to race or gender or wealth or sexual identity. Well, if that's the
1: case, then they are in equalists. You mean I, I can't be a partial There's no such equalist? thing. No, no such thing? So it really it, has to be equality all of, for all? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. No okay. such thing as a partial equalist. Okay. Now... Perhaps some of our listeners right now are saying that by our definition, they themselves are inequalists or casteists. They may not like the term being called an inequalist. Some of you may just disagree and think that you can still be an equalist while supporting one or more of these attributes of inequalists that we have just listed. But think about this if you don't actively speak out, vote, or act against all of these inequalist attributes, such as prejudice, discrimination, privilege, etc., then you're not an equalist and you are actively working against equality in some
1: fashion, right? Absolutely. There, there's a wonderful quote from Carl Jung, and he said, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're saying. It's, it's in what, what our actions are. It's how we vote. It's how we affirm the right. So, you know, what I think the world that you can imagine here would be uh, a world where you have, as we've described, this unlimited uh, different different skill sets and gifts and talents, abilities that we all have as unique human beings. But we are all equal. It does not mean that we are the same, but it means that there are certain elements of our society where We maintain equality. Equality, again, does not mean sameness. Right. We are all about diversity and uniqueness. But we all are valued and worth the same. And so we're all in first place. And at this point in time, we'd like to refer to that great American philosopher, (laughs) Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. As played by, yeah, Ricky Bobby. As played by Will Ferrell in the movie, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And you all may know this phrase if you've seen that movie. If you ain't first, you're you're last.
0: last. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous wisdom from Ricky.
1: And we would say, that is true. There is no second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. There's no, uh, well, I'm privileged and I'm worth more than you are. But look, you're better than these other guys. You ought to be happy with that. You ought to be okay that Mm -hmm. this group is below you. Right. And even though you're not where I am, Mm -hmm. you're still better than those guys. Oh, yeah. That is nonsense. Yeah. I may be in fifth place, but I'm better than sixth. Yeah. Yeah. And we're saying that is nonsense. Nonsense. And it always has been. And we would say, please listen to the words of Ricky Bobby. Yeah. If If you you ain't ain't first, first, you're you're last. last. Everybody needs to be first.
0: If you're not an equalist, you're an inequalist. Yeah. Plain and simple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so per the thought of Buckminster Fuller and with the insights from Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie fresh in our minds, the United States and our planet need a new model. In the United States, we need no Democrats, no Republicans, no independents. In American political parlance, we need something new that creates a global call for a new order, a new order of true equality for all. And we're taglining that the
0: Equalist Equalist Movement. movement. Yeah. Now, what you did not hear in there is that, can we just tweak the current system of Uh, Democrat? No, we cannot.
1: We've been tweaking this baby. For 200 and something years. Yeah. And and beyond that, globally for human history. So what we're
0: saying very, very vehemently is it needs to be blown up and started over. Perfect. Yep. Here's a quote about social responsibility, again from another terrific uh, philosopher, the late Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Love this quote. He said Someone has to do something. It's just incredibly pathetic. It has to be us.
1: <laughs> he was saying that while he was participating in an effort to fight climate change. Yes. And, and somebody asked him, well, why are you? Why are you? And that <laughs> Somebody's was Somebody's got to do something. It's pathetic that it's us, And some, it's on us. If somebody wants to look at Lee and me and go, equality for all in the equalist movement. Well, what are your qualifications for yeah. doing that? And all again... The ridiculous complexity and chaos that people try to throw Mm -hmm. at a picture, Mm -hmm. at a new idea Mm -hmm. to stop it from happening. And we are saying we're going to ignore all of that. Yeah. It's a simple idea. We all know it in our gut. We either believe in it or don't. Are we done? And we're putting it forward. Yeah. And it may have. It may be incredibly pathetic that it has to be us, but we are doing it. <laughs> but there's great wisdom in that Jerry Garcia quote. Absolutely. How many times
0: through this podcast series have we talked about
1: each of us just do our part? Do our part. Do our part. Oh. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're coming to a close here. And so, as always, we want to take a look at optimism, momentum, and gratitude. And uh, we're grateful for several things here today that we want to mention. Uh, We're certainly grateful for people who acknowledge when their attempts at humor have hurt someone else and they apologize. So grateful for courageous people that that are able to do that. And real and true humor is so important in all of our lives. And we're grateful for people who protect that.
0: Uh, We are grateful for all the people who are working hard to minimize risks from AI and maximizing the wonderful opportunities that AI can bring to all of us. Making the most of new technology is so very important to all of us.
1: And lastly, we are grateful for all those people who work tirelessly for equality in our laws and who work tirelessly for equality in how the law is applied. Equality is so important to our future and to the future of humanity. So we're grateful. We are grateful. And as we close, we ask you...
0: What are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? And what is your influence to use? We will talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams the day
1: of your pictures